Isaiah chapter 51 today. We're going to look at it in its entirety in a message that's been entitled simply, Listen Up, which would be something good for all of us, would it not? Man, we need to listen when it comes to the Word of God. Let's rise to our feet, ladies and gentlemen. You know the drill. And let's take our hearts and uh, cause them to be attentive to the Lord, shall we? And so, Father, to that end, we pray that you would uh, take our hearts collectively captive right now. We, Lord, we even, as you've said in your word, that we would uh, take our thoughts and give our thoughts uh, collectively, individually, into your captivity, Lord Jesus. Uh, that we would be attentive to your word today. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, and you know every need that's here emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally, practically, whatever it is, and we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And so we pray, Lord, that you administer like only you can, Lord, speak to us, and Lord, may we respond appropriately that you might receive glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. By way of reminder, though, we're looking through chapter 51. I want to take and turn your attention back to the 50th chapter and the 10th verse. Let's look at it together. It reads, Who among you fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, and who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Guys, I wish I could tell you that as a believer, you're never going to be faced with discouragement, that you'll always see things clearly, that you'll never wonder about the why behind the what that may be happening in your life presently, but that would be untrue. The fact of the matter is that even as believers, there are times when we're just, as the phrase goes, we're just in the dark. Now, not in the sense that we're not saved, but in the sense that we're not always going to have insight or understanding into every circumstance that befalls us. And it's in those times that uh, we're in the dark that discouragement can find us. And it can come from any number of places, perhaps Something you've hoped for just isn't going to happen or a situation that you need to happen speedily is moving along very slowly. Perhaps people you thought were your friends have turned against you or others just seem to be out to get you. Whatever the reason may be, discouragement or depression, dark times have found you. And this is the context that chapter 51 of the book of Isaiah speaks into. And so let's look beginning in the first verse. We read, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. And to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Now, obviously, when it comes to our present section of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, in fact, any area of Scripture, there is interpretation and there is application. Now, pertaining to the interpretation, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. 
But pertaining to application, I trust you see it's for every believer. It's right there in verse 1. You who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. I trust that's every heart here. Three times in this chapter, God gives the exhortation, listen to me. Now, I've been pointing this out over and over throughout our previous passages. God is constantly calling His people to listen to Him. So allow me here in verse 1 to approach it from a little different angle. If God is calling us to listen to Him, that means He is speaking to us. So that when it comes to God's direction and God's correction in our lives, it's not a question of whether He's speaking. The question is simply whether we're listening. God was speaking to His people But his people were having trouble listening. Now listen, (laughs) this is not uncommon for the people of God. Perhaps this will register or resonate in you when I give this illustration to you. How many of you, either maybe as a child or those of you who have children, you've tried to instruct your child, you've tried to uh, give direction or correction to your children, but you can tell they're not really paying attention. And so there you are, you have to keep calling them back. You're like, hey, listen to me when I'm talking to you. Well, that's essentially what God is doing here with his people. He's speaking, but they're not listening. They're not dialed in. They're not tuned in. They're not paying attention. And I want you to know that God is speaking today. The question is, are you going to listen? Now, he may be trying to speak something to your heart through the reading of his word. He may uh, try to speak to your heart through my voice. He may use the still, small voice of his spirit, just ministering something directly into the, the recesses of your own heart. But will you hear it? You see, are you listening? Now, I know that for me, uh, you know, I'm getting to an age, I know I look amazingly young in this light. Uh, But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm getting to an age where if there's too much going on, you know, too many people talking simultaneously, a lot of peripheral noise as, as the situation may be, I can have trouble discerning a conversation unless I'm dialed in and focused. You know, I have to be intentional about listening And the same thing could be said about many people spiritually. Are you in a place where God could speak to you? Or are you distracted emotionally or mentally, perhaps spiritually, because you're worried about something? Or maybe you're still thinking about that argument or or whatever the case may be. Let me encourage you. Set those things aside for just a little while and say, speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Just give the whole of your heart, your mind, your attention to the word of God and have ears to hear. God says to them, I know you're discouraged presently, but I want you to remember what I've done for you previously. I want you to consider our history And guys, the principle in place is this. God's past faithfulness should increase our present faith. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? God's past faithfulness should increase our present faith. God specializes in doing great things in the lives of the downtrodden. And if you will listen to and heed his word, he will do for you, for me, we will see him do wonderful works in us, through us, and for us. But I want to talk for just a minute here about discouragement because it's one of the fiery darts of the wicked one by which he will seek to disrupt and destroy your walk with God. You know, God is here seeking to give us some tools, isn't he? I trust you're seeing them. They're beginning to lift out of the text for you. We'll talk about it just for here in just a minute. But he's seeking to give us some tools to help us overcome it, that is discouragement, but I don't want to diminish the difficulties that can be part and parcel with it. One commentator said this, he said, once a Christian gets eaten up with discouragement and unbelief, it takes a great deal to shake him out of it. These two emotions are the master strokes of Satan. So long as the child of God maintains an attitude of praise and trust in the Lord, then he's invincible. Once the devil gets him discouraged, that poor man is really going to take a knocking. And he's not wrong. You know, over the years, I've seen it again and again and again. Once a child of God gets shaken or seems to settle into some overtone of unbelief, for any number of reasons, it could be whatever reason. Man, I'm telling you, it can seem almost impossible to bring them back to that place of confidence in their Creator. And in fact, it's not uncommon that they choose to go the other direction. They begin to pin the problem. They begin to believe the problem is with God rather than within themselves. Or perhaps they choose to abandon God altogether. But I'm so glad, I'm so grateful that our Savior is the Good Shepherd. And He will leave the 99 to seek after the one. And you know, for some, that might not make much sense. Why would Jesus leave 99 to seek after one. And you're like, that doesn't make much sense. And it won't until you've been the one. God loves you so much. And you may be struggling to see him, to understand or rationalize some things, but he sees you and he pursues you. It's common that we'll quote Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, then I will come into him and, and dine. That is, have fellowship with him and, and he with me, there will be a oneness that takes place, a unity, a community that happens there. And we'll use this in an evangelical application oftentimes, won't we? As though we're appealing to an unbeliever to open the door of their heart, to allow Christ to come in. And that's okay. It's an appropriate application. But I'm just letting you know it's not the direct interpretation. 
The interpretation belongs to the church. Read the text. Jesus finds himself in some situation, some circumstance on the outside. And he's wanting his rightful place on the inside of our hearts and our lives. And so he'll knock and he'll seek and he'll ask and he'll plead. It's interesting, isn't it? We're often told that when it comes to our pursuing our relationship with God, you know, that we should ask, that we should seek, that we should knock. It's right there. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, and Jesus says it. He says, ask, and, and, and you'll receive, seek, and, and you'll find, and knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And, and the idea is that we should be persistent in pursuing uh, our relationship with God. Absolutely, we should. But I don't want you to think even for a second that it's all just a one-sided effort. You know, as though we need to seek God and pursue God, but he just kind of sits there passively while we pursue him. No, not at all. God will reason with us, run after us, remind us, uh, seek to and be there for us. He will restore us, for which we give him praise. God says, you're struggling presently, I want you to remember from where I called you initially. And he turns their attention to Abraham and Sarah. And they were in this desperate, discouraged, and hopeless kind of place. They were past the age of childbearing. They had no children of their own. In fact, Sarah was barren, which was a real cultural stigma. But God made Abraham a promise that he would make of him a great nation that kings would come from his loins and that his descendants would be like the stars in the heavens and the grains on the, uh, of the sand on the seashores of the earth in number. And here's the thing. Abraham didn't need to understand how God could do it. He only needed to believe that God would do it. And so he placed his faith in the promise of the word of God, and God did the work. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's what is happening here. Isaiah is looking into a time. He's prophesying ahead. He's looking to a time when the people of God, the nation of Israel, Judah, having been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, would be discouraged. They would be decades into Babylonian captivity, Small in number, no rational way out, but God had made them a promise. Just like he made Abraham a promise when they were small and desperate and discouraged. And even as Abraham believed God and saw God do the work, they were to believe God and they would watch God do the work. Listen. We serve a God. Come on, somebody. We serve a God who delights to make a way when there is no way. And so if you're discouraged today, I want you to remember where you were when God called you. The situation that he lifted you from. There you were, sinking into the miry, hopeless pit of sin and shame, depression, or despair. You were discouraged. You weren't in a good place. 
but you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. He lifted your head. He overwhelmed you with his love. Now listen, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's still there. He's still faithful. You believed him then. Believe him now. Comfort is coming your way. Did you see it in verse 3? For the Lord will comfort Zion, make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Now certainly there would be comfort, there would be joy and gladness in the day that they would be delivered from Babylon, but I want you to see that that would merely be the foreshadowing of what's ultimately be to be fulfilled via this verse. This no doubt looking forward to the renewal, the restoration of the earth during the millennial kingdom of Christ as God calls his people back into their nation and fills their hearts with joy and gladness. And again, by way of application, we serve the God of all comfort who comforts us you can write it down and read it later. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. In all our tribulation. Guys, the Bible is not ambiguous about the fact that in this world we will have tribulation. But God promises consolation as well. And much like for the Israelites, when they returned from Babylon, they were comforted, they were full of joy and all. But it was just a foretaste of what was to come, of what's to be fulfilled. In like manner, when God fills your heart with gladness, when he comforts you, when he renews you, when he restores you, and you're so grateful, he's renewed your soul. As the psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And when God does this and he brings you back from that place of discouragement, man, you praise him, you worship him, but I want you to know it's just a foretaste of what's to come. Family, comfort is coming your way. Do me a favor, leave the book of Isaiah chapter 51, turn all the way to the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 21. Just go ahead and make your way over there, Revelation chapter 21. And I want to read to you beginning in the very first verse. We there? Revelation 21, here we go. Now I saw, this is John the Apostle writing. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, or check it out, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell, or he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You don't have to understand how God could do it. Believe that God will do it. And your eyes will see it. God is not a man that he should lie. These words are true and they are faithful. We serve a God of all comfort. Don't we? I hope that comforts your heart this morning. We're back in Isaiah chapter 51. I want to continue on here in verse 4. He says, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law or the word will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and my and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner. Underline it. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will not be abolished. So again in verse 4 the exhortation. Listen. God wants us to hear what he has to say. Now, initially, back in verse 1, he says, look back historically. Here he says, look ahead prophetically. And understand that justice is coming to the world. Vindication and salvation are on the way. And I want you to note the emphasis upon the word my. My people, my nation, my justice my righteousness, my salvation, my arms. What's coming down the prophetic pipeline, ladies and gentlemen, has nothing to do with us and how good we are or the nation of Israel and how great they are. The reasons behind the purposes and plans of God are in Him. They're the result of His goodness, of His love, of His grace and His mercy. God does for His people what they could never deserve in themselves and what they could never do for themselves. You've heard it this way. He paid the debt He didn't know because we owed the debt we couldn't pay. And of course we have in verse 5 this veiled reference to Jesus Christ the finished work of the cross, and the fact that God so loved the world. He says, my righteousness is near. Christ has become for us righteousness from God. My salvation has gone forth. The plan of God's salvation, yes, for Israel nationally, contextually, but ultimately, prophetically, for all of humanity through Jesus Christ, my righteousness. He says, man, it's already in motion. My plan of salvation is already on the way. Peter tells us that the plan of God for salvation was set in motion before the foundation of the world. And though God wanted to proclaim the good news through Israel, it was never meant to be limited to Israel. He says here, the coastlands. What's that mean? He's speaking of the Gentile nations. The far reaches of the earth will wait upon me and on my arm. That is, God is saying, my strength, my sufficiency, they will trust. 
And unlike this place, that is, this planet, which is transitory, it is temporary, God's salvation, man, I hope you underlined it, will carry on eternally. He says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look on the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish away like smoke, and the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But, in contrast... My salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven and earth will pass away. The apostle Peter put it this way. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, suddenly, you see in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This this is why we go, why do we get so upset when we get a scratch on our car? Ladies and gentlemen, it's all going to burn. It's all temporary. It's all transitory. I'm not telling you not to be a good steward, but man, can we keep things in the proper perspective here? Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. And that kind of puts things in their proper perspective, doesn't it? Everything about this world, listen, including every life on it, is on borrowed time. The sun, S-U-N, that gives you the light and the warmth that you so readily enjoy loses about 4.7 million tons of mass every second just to produce the sunshine that you like to bathe in. Now, I don't want you to be panicked by that. Even at that rate, it'll provide light and sun and for like the next 5 billion years. There's plenty to go around for a minute, okay? But my point is that it's measurable, the natural resources on this planet, the sun that provides light and life, none of them can go on indefinitely. It's all measurably temporary, which is why you and I need to have our sights set on eternity. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And therefore, where should your priority be? The heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And we who dwell in it will die in like manner. Think about that. The world is winding down. The sun is burning up. But we can build our lives on the immutable, eternal Word of God. You don't need to worry. He says, I want you to see it. His salvation is forever. You don't need to worry that 120 billion years from now, there you are enjoying the ecstasy, the luxury of eternity with Jesus and all. And I don't know what we're going to be doing all the time, but it's going to be undoubtedly incredible always, right? 
When he says, behold, I make all things new, that word means it's in like a present perfect tense. It means uh, consistently, perpetually, always new. You know that feeling you get when you get that brand new something that you've always, man, you've had your sights set on it for so long and you finally got it. There's like this bit of euphoria that invoked in you because it's so new and all, but then eventually it wears off because the flesh is never satisfied. But here's the thing. When God says, I make all things new, that euphoria, that feeling, that newness, that's it. it's like it never goes away. It's never going to go away. And so here you are 120 billion years, and you're just enjoying the newness, and everything is so great. And, and God says, you know what? I think I'm done with this. And he just wipes us out. He just says, you know, I, I'm just going to, and we just cease to exist. Or I'm just going to toss all these folks in hell. It's what they really deserved. And I'm just going to go do something different. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about God changing his mind. Because his salvation, notice his righteousness will not be abolished. His salvation is forever. Now, verse 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law or my word. Do not fear the reproach of men nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness, again, will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So what's going on here? He says, look back historically, look forward prophetically. Now he says, look within yourself presently, personally, what do you find? Fear or faith? Family, there will be people who come into the arena of your life who hate you, who oppress you, spite or make fun of you, you know, for the nation of Israel, this was a reference to Babylon, the oppressor and all. God says, those who hate you, who hurl insults at you, they're worm food. Don't be afraid. Now, I would say beyond that, that today, believers, in large part, are afraid to even make known the fact that they're believers for fear of humiliation, fear of mockery, uh, being seen as the person who causes the problems. There you are standing for things like two genders, uh, marriage being between a man and a woman. You know, you're pro-Israel. You stand against abortion. You believe in the absolute, infallible inerrancy of Scripture and when people find that out, you're worried how they might see you, how they might treat you, the way they might speak to you or of you. Hear the word of the Lord to you. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. Jesus said that like this. He said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the idea. You can fear God or you can fear man, but you can't do both. 
the oppression, insults, and mockery of man, family, is temporary. Uh, The salvation of God is forever. And so be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for you and for everyone who believes. Now in verse 9 he says, Awake, or we read, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord shall return and shall come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God, we see, so this is a response. These are the people crying out to God. God, we see how you've worked previously. We're asking you to do it again presently. You know, and maybe you feel that way. God, I've seen you work historically in my life previously. I need you to do it right now, God, just right here presently. Here the nation is recalling God's mighty works in the land of Egypt in delivering his people. This is what this reference to Rahab and the serpent is. If you want to write it down so you can research it and trust I'm not just telling you something, it's Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 7, Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 3. But the idea is you've done it before, do it again, and we'll return to Jerusalem with singing, our enemies defeated, every obstacle out of the way, sorrow and sighing will flee away and joy and everlasting gladness will be upon us. And man, we can't wait, can we? For the day that joy and everlasting gladness will be upon us. God will do the work. He will deal with our enemies. He says in verse 12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? And the son of a man who will be made like grass. And you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continuously or continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And and where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God. Who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth. And I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. Why? That I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. And so the principle comes into focus for us once again in verses 12 and 13 how easy it is for us to forget God and to fear man. But God says, I am the one who comforts you. The idea being that if the strength of God is on your side, ladies and gentlemen, why should we fear man? The power and greatness of God is our comfort. 
The book of Hebrews has it like this. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And he says in verse 16, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. Why? That I may plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. What does that mean? I mean, God wants to use you to build up, to build into his kingdom. God wants to use you to lead others to him to build into, to build up his kingdom. And in verse 17, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it, down, or drained it out. And there is no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword. By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, and you drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God. Notice, underline it, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you, and you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. It's interesting how we like to project the state of our own being upon God. Say, what do you mean? Well, back in verse 9, if you recall or want to just take your eyes back there, you can. It was the people of God crying out to God, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Yet the Scriptures declare, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. However, it's all too common for the people of God to slumber and drift off to sleep spiritually, sometimes in a Bible study, whatever the case may be. Not that I'm looking at you personally. But this is why we read in the book of Romans and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. God says, look, I'm not the one who's asleep here. You're saying, awake, awake. Come on, God, you know. He says, you're the ones in need of a wake-up call. God is trying to snap them back into spiritual sobriety. Guys, the Bible teaches, and uh, we're going to close here uh, pretty quick here, so I don't know where it is. But listen to me, the Bible teaches, and you see it made reference of 
reference to here, that God holds a cup, metaphorically speaking, in his hand. It is the wine cup of his wrath, his righteous judgment. And when a people fill it up with the measure of their sins, he will press it to their lips and force them to drink it down to the dregs. What are the dregs? It's the, the bitter sediments that settle to the bottom. And so not only had they gone into captivity, but we read desolation, destruction, meaning famine and sword, all of these things. The idea is this was the righteous cup of God's wrath being poured out as a result of their sins against Him. And this is why He says that they're drunk, but not with wine. You're like, riddle me this. What does that mean? It means they're reeling to and fro as a result of God's wrath. They're staggering underneath the weight of his righteous judgment. And there were none who could help them, none to lead them out of their condition. And this is why verse 22 shines like a beacon of light out of the darkness. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Not only would God, purely out of His grace and His mercy, deliver them nationally, but ultimately this looks forward to what He would do for all of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. Perhaps you can recall it in your mind's eye before we wind down and wrap up here. You see the scene, there was your Lord and mine and crying out in the garden of Gethsemane, the cross awaiting him the very next morning. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This cup of the righteous wrath of God against the sins of the world. But Jesus would drink it down to the dregs for you and for me. The Lord, who is our God, pled the cause of His people. So that in Christ, God has taken out of our hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of His fury, and we shall no longer drink it. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, God will deal with the enemies of Israel. He will deal with the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. But as for you and me, we need to set our sights on the eternal. This world is passing away along with the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, John said, abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. But God's salvation is forever, and His righteousness will not be abolished. Thank you, Lord, for pleading the cause of Your people, for standing in the gap on our behalf, for interceding, making a way where there was no way. And we thank you for the promise of your word that your salvation will be forever, that your righteousness will not be abolished. And so we thank you for the comfort of your great power and your great might.
Lord, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. So, God, fill us with your spirit. Be glorified in our lives. And while we're here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just kind of in this posture of prayer and humbling our hearts before the Lord. Guys, Jesus drank the cup of the fury of God's wrath against our sin. In Him, everlasting life can be yours. Now, you can take your chances before God, or you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He's made a way where we could never make a way. So I encourage you, enter into the grace and the mercy, the salvation of God through faith in Him today. Why put it off any longer? Why delay? Why not right here, right now, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I, I raise the white flag, unconditional surrender. Take my heart into your captivity. So if that's you, if the Lord is speaking to you, nudging you, pressing this moment upon you, saying, hey, and that knock, you know? And you're ready to quit fighting and you're ready to surrender, to give your heart, your life to Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin, to trust in Him. I want to pray for you. Maybe a friend brought you, maybe a family member brought you, maybe you came here of your own volition. Maybe you've been here for a while and you've just been kind of observing and thinking about it. And, but something's resonating in your heart today and today is a day of salvation. Don't put it off. Seize the opportunity that's in front of you. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Uh, you could just raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. And you can put it back down. But God bless you. I see you, man. You can put your hand down if you want. Anyone else? Today is a day for you. I just encourage you not to hesitate or God bless you too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's why we're here. I, look, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to emotionally somehow draw you a direction that, no man, I'm saying God loves you. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Quit fighting. Give up. It's a, it's a losing battle. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't fight against God and win. But I tell you the truth, I gave my heart to Christ when I was 19, and my only regret was that I never did it sooner. <laughs> Anyone else? All right. Well, Father, I just thank you so much for the hands that come up in my sight, meaning the hearts that open up in your sight. And I want to pray, Lord, that your salvation would flow down. Torrents of living waters, washing over, cleansing, refreshing, making new. Guys, the Bible says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single exception. But if we'll confess our sin, that is, if we will come in agreement with God about our sin, acknowledge our sin for what it is. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so this is where, I, I don't want you to think that, well, I went to church, I prayed a prayer, I guess I'm saved. It's not, it's not that you 
dotted the I and crossed the T and cut the red tape and all of that. It's that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But with a heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so just come before Him in your own heart. Guys, say, just pray. Just talk to God. Just tell Him who you are. Confess your sin. God, I am a sinner. And I fall so short. But I thank you, God, that you love me. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive me. To cleanse me. And make me new. God, if what that guy is talking about up there is true, I want that. I need that. So I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit to make yourself real to me, to make your word real to me, and to help me lead my life for you out loud from this day forward, all my days, until I see you face to face. And thank you, God, for putting my name in your book of life. Now, I want to encourage that if you prayed a prayer like that, if you turned your heart to the Lord in like manner, that God has heard the cry of your heart. That if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are made new. I want you to know you're leaving here different than the way you came in here. You're a child of God. Receive that. Rejoice in that. Bless the name of the Lord for that. Father, we, we bless you today. And we thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. That we not be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of our minds. That we might prove that good, acceptable, perfect will that you've laid out. Father, restore us, renew us, refresh us, wash over us, pour your spirit out upon us. We need you, God. We thank you that you pursue us, God. And that you bring us back into the fold Sometimes kicking and screaming all the way. But we love you so much for it. We thank you that your salvation is forever. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.